This is the When Everything is Missions podcast with Matthew Ellison and Denny Spitters, authors of the book When Everything is Missions. Our topic today is Reformation, churches that change their mind about missions. And our guests are Larry Hansen, Michelle Thompson, and Trent Hunter. The medieval church discovered the gospel did not need to be redefined. It needed to be rediscovered. In the same way, our idea of missions need not be redefined. It merely needs to be rediscovered. Perhaps it's time for a reformation. Now let's join Matthew and Denny. Well, it is great to be back in studio recording a new series of podcasts for yes. When Everything is Missions. Denny, it's so good to see you, brother. Yep. It's good to be here. It's good to be doing this again, and I'm really looking forward to our guests today. Yeah, likewise. Uh, so far, we've had one series of podcasts that have come through and great feedback and a lot of questions. When are your next podcasts? So we are, again, thrilled to be launching into a new series. So, Denny, um, about a little over a year ago, I think we celebrated something pretty important in the history of the church. Yes, the Reformation. That's right. I think it was the 500 anniversary of the yeah. Reformation. Incredible time. Um, and, of course, a gospel explosion happened on the other side of that. And one thing to note is that during the Reformation, the medieval church discovered the gospel didn't need to be redefined, right? Yep. It needed to be rediscovered. Yes. I really love that. Uh, they didn't create a new gospel. They didn't redefine it. They discovered the original, authentic gospel. And uh, we believe that we need a reformation today, Denny. Yes. Uh, we need to rediscover, not redefine, but rediscover a biblical understanding of missions. So really excited about this podcast because we have some special guests online with us today. And I'm just going to ask them to introduce themselves, uh, what church they represent, and then we're going to dive into what I believe is going to be a very robust conversation with the idea of three churches who rediscovered missions. So uh, we'll start with uh, Calvary Murrieta. Go for it. Hi, Matthew. This is Larry Hansen, and I'm currently serving as the missions pastor here, and glad to be on with you today. Great. This is uh, Andrew LeCasse. I'm an associate pastor out here also. Thank you, Andrew and Larry, for being with us. Heritage, you're up. My name is Trent Hunter from Heritage Bible Church in the Greenville area, Greer to be specific, South Carolina, pastor for preaching and teaching. Great. Trent, thanks for being with us. And then Michelle Thompson from the Midwest. Michelle, tell us about your church real briefly. Yeah, I'm the global team leader at Northview Christian Church in Danville, Indiana. Great. Michelle, thanks so much for being with us. So as I mentioned, we're just going to dive in here, folks. A quote from Charles Spurgeon, pretty famous. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. I wonder if uh, that teaching that everyone's a missionary has ever been communicated or taught at your church. And Michelle, I'm going to start with you. Um, It's been a number of years ago since that happened. Um, Not with our current staff, thankfully, but... um I would say as much as even 10 or 15 years ago, I did hear that. And I really think a lot of it is because people don't understand the difference between a missionary and an evangelist. Uh, A missionary is somebody who's supposed to be crossing a a cultural barrier or a language barrier, or maybe both, in order to present the the gospel, and an evangelist isn't necessarily crossing any barriers. Yeah. I wonder, Michelle— what do you think the motivation is for calling everyone a missionary? I mean, what, what's behind the idea from your perspective? I think it's more just because um, Jesus calls all of us 
to present the gospel to our friends and neighbors. We're supposed to spread the good news. Um, and I think that by calling them a missionary, I think it elevates that sense of responsibility in people's minds. And if they think of themselves as a missionary, then maybe they would actually take the initiative and go ahead and, and try to share with their friends and neighbors. But in reality, I think it's, it's, while it maybe elevates the task in the people's minds here, I think it almost brings down the level of the task to somebody who's taken on the challenge of going cross-culturally. Yeah, I, I think you bring something up. It's a well-intentioned idea, but I, I think it has unintended consequences that you bring up, and that is that the priority of taking the gospel cross-culturally, especially to the least reach, gets obscured when you call everyone a missionary. But again, I, I want to mention, I think it, it, the motivation is probably a good one. It just has these unintended consequences. Exactly. I would agree with that. Uh, Trent, how about you? How, what have, has this been an issue at all at Heritage? Well, I'm newer to Heritage, so about uh, two years here. And I think if you go person to by person, you ask them about what missions is, they would start talking about the end of the earth and the globe. But we had, um, because we didn't have sort of definitional clarity around what global missions was, we had some mission creep in our budget supporting local evangelistic works. So I think if you were to look at our budget and answer the question, what is missions, you might answer it this way. It's everything in terms of gospel advance outside the walls and the property of the church and the organizational oversight of the church. So we had all kinds of missions partners, as they were formally categorized, that were, you know, a, a local child evangelist, uh, a local uh, motorcycle ministry, uh, stateside church planting, all that was under the rubric of, of mission. But then go person by person, and it might not be that way. The thing is, a fuzzy definition will deal, yield fuzzy execution, which then, because budgets teach, will then in turn teach you over time in the next generation what missions is, so that when you're teaching on the budget or you're explaining it or you're leading in budgetary matters or missions matters, you're using missions language to um, speak about works not so far away, certainly within English-speaking and North American culture. And so, I mean, I, our folks were sacrificially sending to the edge of the earth, but over time, that kind of fuzz at the edge, if you don't have a gr- shared agreement congregationally, uh, would have consequences. And I think in some ways, some of the stresses we were feeling were because of a uh, lack of shared agreement at a definitional level. Uh, Larry, Andrew, how about how about at Calvary? Well, I would say that for us, um, many years ago, maybe twenty years ago, that that thought or philosophy was was taught or talked about here. But um, as as we went to U.S. Center for World Missions and started taking the perspectives course, that that thinking uh, had some really drastic changes for us. And um, so currently, the majority of the folks here would not. Uh, would not be thinking that everyone is a missionary, but it took several, several years for us to undo that kind of teaching and kind of thinking um, and, and really tried to help the folks understand that that the value of being evangelistic and, and sharing Christ with your neighbor is the work of the church, and it's what we should be about. And so um, it, 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 it's different than being sent cross-culturally, but specifically we should be about that, showing the love of Christ to our friends, family, and neighbors, and that's been communicated well now. That's really great. 
I think another factor here is that we've so lowered our standards for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Or they're all fuzzy, like Trent just talked about, hey, getting clarity right. and really kind of sharpening your pencil about that. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, feeding empty bellies, taking care of orphans, evangelism, this is the work of every disciple. It's the work of every church to be salt and light at all levels in your own culture. And so that wasn't happening. And so we said, well, let's call everyone a missionary because they'll take the job more seriously. I remember Denny and I, we did a uh, conference and we had a panel discussion. And someone had read our book and they said, well, you know, we're convinced um, not everyone's a missionary, but what on earth are we going to call everyone since we've been calling them a missionary so long? And, and Danny and I looked at each other and we said, how about disciple? <laughs> Let's call them a disciple. How about normal, real discipleship? <laughs> Authentic, radical disciples of Jesus. So we talked about this earlier. How about for, Go ahead. And how about first say thank you to those folks that are out there actively doing that, that we appreciate that, that, they're, that they're showing motivation and showing Christ's love. Amen. That's a great comment. I think that's something we should emphasize right here, right now. It's not either or, it's both and. It's neighbors and nations. But when you lump it all together, inevitably the nations get the short end of the stick. So, Well, uh, let's talk a little bit more from each of your churches here. In kind of a nutshell, what forces or decisions or circumstances brought your church to a place where you recognized a need to reevaluate your understanding and definition of missing missions, this whole idea of a reformation. What did that look like in your context? Michelle? Um, we had started making a turn um, because initially, I mean, when I looked at budgets from long before I was involved, it was a lot of domestic camps and Christian colleges and a whole bunch of them, and maybe one or two foreign ministries that were in Mexico or in Europe. And we were coming to the realization that it was better to focus on a few and not to have our hands involved in absolutely everything. But most of our budget decisions, honestly, were being made on what people's pet projects were. And our short-term trips were anything that, quite frankly, just made us feel good about ourselves. Um, well, we went and painted, you know, painted these Sunday school rooms for the third time this summer um, in this church in Mexico. So... What we really wanted was to be effective for the kingdom. And while we were doing a lot of good things, we didn't feel like we were making a significant difference anywhere. And Mm. we wanted to change that. Wow. So, Trent, uh, what was going on in your circumstances that brought you to a place where you said, you know, we need to really clarify a biblical definition here? Yeah, we kind of backed up into the question of a definition. There were a number of things in our church that were working for us and that we have going for us that were at the same time working against us slowly. We, had a, we have uh, lots of budget, for example. Our church was founded by a, a group of really mission-minded saints who had this aggressive and risk-taking aim of 50% of the general budget going to global missions. I never quite got there, but there was always this culture of watching that percentage even in the Constitution, something of that goal was stated. And so that led to some awesome and huge sacrifices financially over time. It's really awesome to learn about what has happened here and uh, sending of our children to the globe. Um, but it also led, you could put it this way, to some creativity in order to increase a percentage. So I listed some of the things, the camp ministry and prison ministry locally were included in that. We found that we had a hard time making decisions and explaining why we're making one decision and not another. 
Um, and, and at the heart of that was a definition. We also had a lot of buy-in. Our people were all in to the point where we had a 15% mission, 15-person mission committee. Add to that 18 elders, about as many deacons, and a lot of passionate people. Hard to get a lot of passionate people on the same page. Whoa. Especially when so many of our people come from different parts of the country with different experiences, different influences. And underneath layers of conversation are differences of of definition. What are we talking about? So even after that committee was brought down to five, even if that team agreed and that team was really tight, getting across unity across teams in the church proved to be a tremendous challenge. And finally, we had a lot of connections. Our church in Greenville's at a thoroughfare of gospel work. So people have gone out from our church and come through our church, and a lot of people call our church home or a friend. At one point, we were supporting 37 different works. And so new opportunities, as they were presented in front of us, our principle of supporting our people because they were our people or closely connected just wasn't sustainable. Hmm. So lots of connections meant multiplying partnerships that add to this multiplying voices as guest speakers spoke some of this, everyone's a missionary stuff at times, was in the water. So even as we had some really strategic homegrown pioneering works that we're excited about even today, looking at the whole picture, our overall efforts were slowing and fracturing us under the weight of these different dynamics that I mentioned, these good things about us Mm -hmm. that were turning against us. And getting agreement on a definition, it turns out has yielded and will yield quite a bit of alignment around common mission in order to leverage all of these great assets and energy and heart that mm-hmm. our church has for for the mission. So those are some reflections on our church, at least. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, uh, what is God calling us to actually do as a church? What is His Spirit leading us to do? Mm-hmm. And, and what are we supposed to focus on? I think... Often churches really don't wrestle with that. They just assume that everybody's pretty much in the same place that I am uh, on missions. Um, Andrew, we haven't heard from you yet. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit of, of how that came about at, at Calvary? What, what did that look like? Yeah, I have the benefit of uh, having, you say Andrew, right? Yes. Yes, you, Andrew. Yeah. I have the benefit of, uh, I grew up here, and so uh, now, uh, you know, on our board and get to see from a leadership perspective, but I got to grow up here and watch the culture change. Um, you know, our senior pastor went on his first mission trip the year I was born, which I won't say, but it was a while back. And <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> from there, you know, we benefited that missions and cross-cultural missions was really part of our, uh, part of our heritage, uh, but then as time went on... Um, you know, we had we had already kind of said, "Hey, we're about the unreached. We're about the nations." Uh, and I think to those who know a lot, a lot is required. And so we weren't really uh, putting our money where our mouth was uh, and focusing in on those things. And so we had to um, really kind of grapple with: is what we're saying that we do uh, really lining up with what we actually do? And so um, you know, we had the heritage, we had the legacy, but the focus uh, was a little bit lacking. And so. We really started asking some tough questions and uh, had to kind of deal with that the answers weren't always what they should be, and so we uh, we kind of moved forward with a, a vision process and a defining process from there. Uh, Larry, maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of the difficulty of walking through some of this. Sometimes things go really, really well, but I think most of us, when we walk through a process, 
experience um, a lot of different emotions, a lot of different thinking, were exposed to new ideas. Was there confusion, pushback, resistance? Uh, what was the pain points? Uh, maybe what some of the agreements were and describe the atmosphere a little bit. Hey, Denny, it's great that you asked that. The interesting thing is, as we pulled our missions team together, there was confusion on definitions just with the five guys in the room. And, and what we recognized by that is, if there was some confusion there, there was definitely mm-hmm. confusion in the church body. At that point, we were supporting 30-plus different folks in the field, and, and some of those had been adopted in or simply from a local Bible college that needed a covering. And, um, and so we had sent a pretty mixed message. And reining that in, when we first started communicating what we were doing, what people heard was everything that we had currently done for the last 30 years was wrong. Um, and so we had, to, we had to really reevaluate how we, how we communicated our message to help people understand that we weren't saying what we had done was wrong, but what we were starting to recognize that we were working 95% of where we were were areas that were reached. And um, in our church mission, we talk about the nations um, being reached with indigenous churches, and we were not doing that. And so we had to redefine what that looks like. And then we had to also talk about participation, that we wanted to send um, the boldest, the brightest, the best prepared into the mission field, and, and what some thought we were saying is that we sent people who were ill-prepared before or weren't the best and the mm-hmm. brightest. So, yeah, there, def- there definitely was a little pushback, a little confusion, and what we learned is once we honed in our message and got some great coaching and some good direction, when we finally did a rollout to the church, it, they were it was very well received, but for a, I don't know, I would say a, a nine-month to a 12-month process until we clearly, from the pulpit, were able to say what we were doing, that's where we met some resistance. And um, so kind of, I think that kind of helped a little bit of our description. I think also as church leaders, we went into it um, knowing that if we had some confusion, everybody else did, so we decided we'd be very gentle with the folks that needed some encouragement to help their thinking and help their clarity. Yeah, that's really good, Larry. You use the word process. We've been bringing that up several times. And I think if there's any church or missions leaders um, listening to this and they're saying, oh, we need clarity, we need unity, we, we need to have a shared biblical definition of missions. Let me just hit on that. It will not happen overnight. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be some wrestling. Yep. There's going to be some pushback. Yep. I mean, wh- what I've realized is when you challenge the idea that not everyone's a missionary, those are fighting words for a lot of people because yep. they've heard it so much. It's so much a part of our nomenclature that when you challenge the idea, they're like, that's not a biblical idea. You know, my pastor's been telling me that forever. So I, I think that's important. It's a prayerful process. Um, I'm using a lot of P's here. I'm, I'm, it's my pastoral alliteration. It's a prayerful process that requires patience. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's going into the word and saying, let's let our missions definitions be shaped by the Bible not by cultural trends or preferences or prejudices, but, but by the God of all nations, as Jeff Lewis says. So, uh, Michelle, I, I was privileged to be a part of the process at Northview Christian. Um, I want to hear from you about what that process was like as you were clarifying 
a biblical definitions. Again, the atmosphere, was there some pushback? Um, I think within the team, we were able to pretty quickly come to um, a definition that we agreed on. Um, part of that was because we had gone through some studies as a team before we ever started the coaching process where we realized what the biblical definition of, of missions and the nations and, and everything that all that entails was really about. And so it didn't take too much to get the team all on the same page, but where we really had difficulty with was um, with our church leadership. Um, there was a lot of wrangling over words. There were places where our team wanted to really clearly articulate our vision, um, but our elders looked at that and said, but if you, if you make it that specific, you're going to stifle the Holy Spirit, and we've got to be open to where the Holy Spirit's leading us, and maybe he's going to change where he's leading us, and maybe it's not going to stay that. And so there's there was really a lot of um, a lot of difficulty as far as that went, and interestingly, um, we ended up losing nearly half of our missions team, and it wasn't because of hard feelings, and it wasn't because of um, people were mad at each other. It was more a matter of um, some of them didn't feel like they were qualified for the new roles that we were asking them to take on. Um, some of them said, "But I just have." such a heart for this one missionary or this one country, and they couldn't get their heart wrapped around um, the vision that we as a church felt that God was leading us to. I mean, they, they could agree with us, but they personally couldn't get there. Mm. Um, and then, honestly, we, had, we even had one guy who, um, you know, he would love to sit and talk with us, but then he, he wasn't willing to actually put any sweat equity into anything. And, mm. and so it, it really has been... I don't want to say divisive, but it has been a very, very difficult process for our church to get there. We've made a lot of progress. We're getting there. Yeah. But it's just been a, a long process. I, I appreciate your transparency, Michelle. I think that's really important. Um, this, these are difficult things to discuss, and getting everyone on the same page is really essential. And as uh, the brothers from Calvary Murrieta mentioned, when you have a leadership, a missions and church leadership group, that don't have a shared understanding of missions. If there's confusion there, man, there's got to be confusion in the church. Uh, I want to key off something you said, Michelle. You talked about the concern like, hey, we want to be led by the Spirit, and if we have this, you know, um, narrow definition of missions, um, that's going to really, you know, hold back the Spirit. One of the things that I've often said to churches, and I lifted this from someone else, so I, I don't know who, who said it, but uh, by the way, you know, when you use something, the first time you have to give attribution, second time you can say it was once said, and the third time you own it is what I've been told. So anyway, I, I don't know who said this, but um, it was, you don't need a voice, you have a verse. And, you know, I, I often hear folks saying, listen, um, we want to be open to the Holy Spirit leading people wherever they want to go. And, you know, as they look towards the least reached, the unreached, the nations that don't have the gospel, they're, again, afraid that they're going to be restricted. Um, and they said, we want to be led by the Spirit. And so I, I've often said, do you mean the Holy Spirit sending nine out of ten missionaries to places where the church is already planted and the Holy Spirit's only sending one to the unreached? So, again, I think this we go back to we need a biblical foundation. We need our moorings in Scripture, and we need to allow those things to shape and inform our missions, decisions, and actions. Yeah, I think along with that, it's just this idea that if we're to look at Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3, we see how the Holy Spirit actually works in a local church where worship, prayer, and fasting 
is the foundation yeah. for the Lord to actually identify and confirm and, um, you know, send out people. And and that's an important piece by far. Uh, Trent, uh, did you have some things that were difficult as well in your process? Um, and what has changed since you clarified a biblical yeah. definition? Yeah, thanks for asking. We... Um we were all really committed to missions. We were, as some of what I've shared would would show that we were we were not all clear on what we were going to do, and we had different you know people that we knew and things that we were invested in. In our process, in about eighteen months, it was prayerful, it was inclusive. We had uh, the original missions committee plus key leaders from elders and deacons and a few others involved. Um, and yeah, involved some pain. I mean, we, we, in some ways we, we found out how much alignment we had, but then we'd hear things like, um, don't we need to be focusing on local missions and before we focus on global, so pitting those against each other or, you know, can't God communicate through our good works, kind of like a nod to humanitarian work on its own. I'm not sure if you press the brother, he'd say that, but so those kinds of things now are blown out of the room. A shared definition it goes uh, to proclaim Christ in order to establish reproducing indigenous churches among the world's least reached peoples. That shared definition is right in the middle of our conversation and provides shared agreement in any given room around global missions, which is giving us some clip and some energy, and especially at a core leadership level, we've got it. That has yet to spill out congregation-wide. Our congregation loves our leaders and trusts our leaders, but they're Bible people, and they want to make sure they're led by the Bible, and they want to make sure we're praying. And I pray that in the months and years ahead that we'll that the unity that we have at a leadership level will be uh, what marks our whole congregation. I think we'll get there. It will take some patience and, and time. We've got you know, fear of man issues and leading change. You know, will people leave if we click this box or do that thing? You know, taking down on missions partners feels counterproductive. What, you know, will we support our own children? This has come up a bunch. We've sent out so many of our own children. Will we support the next young person that wants to go to this place? And this is where, you know, Denny, you mentioned Acts 13. You're exactly right. And that we want to say our church has a proactive strategy for getting to the edge of the earth and to all nations. Will you join us in that? My prayer is that the next generation of missionaries, just like the former that went out from our church, will be now aligned and and behind and channeled along inside our shared mission as a church. The specific way we see ourselves making a dent in the, the Great Commission at the edge of the earth. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I want to mention something, Trent. Um, and that is, I think a lot of churches didn't take the time to develop a biblical understanding and definition of missions that we shared because their engagement in missions as a local church was really not intentional. It was reactive. Um, you know, they were responding mm-hmm. to needs and requests as they came up. But for a long time, local churches, as we know, and there's still many that do, they outsource missions. They proxy it out. So there really wasn't a need to say, you know, here's our mission. Here's our purpose. And, and I think that's one of the, the reasons why there's a loose definition of missions is because there hasn't been a proactive vision. 
And, and I think churches need to have that Acts 13 season that Denny referenced and really all of your churches went through mm-hmm. uh, of seeking God, worshiping, fasting, praying, a season of saying, God, we want to be a church that follows in the footsteps of this audacious church in Antioch. We want to extend the gospel, not just to our neighbors, but to the ends of the earth. So again, if you're listening to this podcast, I would say, man, if you take away anything, come together, church and missions leaders, hide away in a room and, and you know, spend several months saying, yes. God, what's your mission? What is our global peace in your epic story of redemption? We want to hear your spirit. We want to take the gospel where it's not been. That will be invaluable. But again, that takes time. We want open package, mixed ingredients, missions. Again, I've had the privilege of interacting with all of your churches and I've seen the value of process. And it was, you know, it's a little bit like swimming through peanut butter when you go through a process. But I believe the results are really just so important. So I'm... I'm I'm kind of curious because, um, you know, going through a process like this, there are things that you stop doing, things that might actually be sacred cows in your churches. Um, uh, Anybody want to offer some things that you stopped doing and then what you started doing our missionaries in, and one would be pioneer that would be going to those ends of the earth. But then we did a reevaluation of those that we were currently supporting and um, and really tried to see how they line up um, with our values and our kind of strategic vision and, and started to talk with those missionaries in the field, communicate with them, and, and, and we have removed several of them from our financial support. And, and believe it or not, it, it actually went better than we thought. And, and some of the folks at church are probably more offended or annoyed than, than the field worker. I think the field worker had a better grasp or a better understanding um, of where the church had moved in the direction we were going. And some were very supportive. Some obviously were hurt. But that was one of the things that, that we started doing. Um, the other thing is we started really being very careful to refer to um, – reached and unreached groups of, of areas and made our definitions a little bit clearer. And then as we jumped into the field and started looking for like-valued and like-minded partners, we were able to establish, you know, some really good work among the Rohingya and the, and the Hani. Those, both those people groups is where we jumped in. And, um, and we started looking around the world, and we, we were introduced to some in, in some very unique and unusual places. And so we've made some... Uh, some very um, authentic foothold. Recently, Andrew and Brian were amongst a small group. I'm not sure I'll announce where they are, but we found 350 of one of those unreached people groups in an access area that they weren't in refugee camps, and we were able to to really press in with a local pastor and and do both some some physical care and some life skills and, and evangelism kind of simultaneously. So. And to be able to talk about that openly at the church and allow the church body to participate both prayerfully and financially. Uh, Larry, you used the term reach versus unreached. And uh, I think that that's, those are terms that at times get actually fairly confusing for people in churches. Uh, Michelle, I'm, I'm wondering in your church, has there been an alignment on those two words and how did you go about uh, kind of wrestling with those things and 
have you had to go back to the table and wrestle again from time to time or tell us what's that's been like uh, at Northview um, I can't really say that's anything that we've gone back and addressed yet I think that's probably coming more in the future um, probably the biggest change that we've seen happen um, since we've gone through this process is what our short-term trips look like. I think I mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, before we did a lot of service-oriented trips where we were doing things like, um, you know, painting or re-roofing or building or something along those lines, all very service-oriented. And our trips now are geared much more towards um, either world discipleship, helping people understand what um, different world religions look like, or there are more training opportunities where if, for example, if we want to take somebody to visit some of our church planners in the Middle East and they're going to be doing specific activities there, we're going to train them to do those activities before we ever leave American soil. So for us, that's probably been our biggest change so far um, in just that we're not doing short-term trips just to make ourselves feel good, but we're really trying to focus those short-term trips in to eventually meet what our long-term focus is. Yeah, that's really good. Again, I think without an intentional, biblical, proactive vision, you end up just responding to requests mm-hmm. and you know you find that you're doing not bad things, but they're not really leading to that advance yeah, of the gospel. Yeah, you kind of do what you like to do. Right, exactly. <laughs> So, Trent, um, big question here, okay, and I know your church just recently went through this clarifying process, incredible history at Heritage, strong missions thrust, but as you mentioned, there was some mission drift over the years. Now that you have this biblical definition of missions that is shared, and you just shared that statement, very incredible statement of purpose, um, have you seen people suddenly just start neglecting their neighbors and the community? Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's obviously the our love for our neighbors and our desire to see the gospel grow in our immediate community is obviously where the adoption of everyone's a missionary comes from. Um, it's the reason why some are hesitant about such uh, an immersive season in the in the target of global missions. We'll take our target off our neighbors. The perfectly legitimate question if someone's asking that, and I would say it's a bit early to tell for us if I'm trying to. Like, um, you know, actually show you what's happening on the ground here. But I can maybe offer an anecdote or two that intentionality globally does seem to be breeding intentionality locally. So after our global mission series, a four-week series where we did four touchdowns in the book of Acts to put together, and if that's the Holy Spirit's inspired story of the early church and Jesus' mission through the church, um, after that series, one young mom uh, has initiated a relationship with a manager at a local lower-income housing development that's near our church, and she's really interested in ministering to single mothers in this complex. We've had some ministry among these neighbors before, and she was just thinking, you know, after soaking in this for so many weeks, is there one thing I can do locally? And she's not confusing the definition. She's merely obeying Jesus. Mm-hmm in an overlapping sphere of her responsibility. And that international awareness, it seems, is breeding some local awareness. So this is mostly among our missions team right now, and this will pray I move out over time, but there's just side conversation about diversity in our community, different ethnic cultures in our community, and how we could be strategic. And that may dovetail with our global mission strategy, but to me that intentionality and the, the awareness 
translate. Those muscle reflexes also yeah. work locally. Um, yeah. That's really good. So I've got an anecdotal point as well. A church I coached several years ago in Sterling Heights, Michigan, which is kind of the epicenter of, of, you know, Muslim and Arab immigration in the United States. They've been there forever and they never had an active interest in their community, um, you know, reaching the Muslims that were there. And they have deployed a church planning team to West Africa and they've been out for several years. But it's interesting in interviewing the senior pastor, he said, you know, this global launch, you know, and they, again, they clarified a biblical understanding of missions. They raised up, sent out their own to do church planning in West Africa. He said it's had more impact on us as a church than it has had um, in the field we're in yet. Now, hopefully that'll change. Hopefully we'll see the Holy Spirit moving powerfully in West Africa. But he said this initiative has transformed us as a church and it's changed the way everyone views their own community. And there's testimony after testimony of people's eyes being lifted to their neighbors in a new way. Now, there may be some churches out there that are just so zealous for global missions, they ignore their neighbors. I don't know very many of them. I just got to tell you, when you have a passion for God's Mm -hmm. glory and you have that burning ambition of Paul that says, I can't bear the thought of there being peoples and places where Christ has not been proclaimed, those are the same people that are going to be sharing the gospel in their neighborhoods. That's my opinion. Yeah. Andrew at Calvary, uh, Marietta, what have you seen in this regard as the nations have been lifted up like Matthew's just been speaking about? Has that had an effect within the body of Christ to their outreach, uh, their vision? Uh, You know, I think globally we've had so many people who really wanted, uh, I think they were just waiting for us to offer them something that big. And, they needed a little bit of a channel to go through, but they were so excited to be involved with that. Also, a lot of the people that we've seen that really have jumped on are the people who are already here doing local stuff or right in within the walls of our church or outside the walls of our church. And so I think what we've seen is a lot of people who, um, they just, they just, through the Holy Spirit, they kind of got it and they get it here and they get it there. And to them, it, it, it didn't matter, uh, where we were talking about in terms of they were called to it, and so they were going to come on our trips, they were going to be praying, they were going to be uh, working with it, that same goal. Uh, and so that's been really cool to see. Um, but when we talk about, hey, the nations and, and focusing in on unreached people, we really did see a lot of people uh, realize that there was something uh, dire and something grave going on and something bigger than just here. And they've uh, uh, people, there's people who uh, are slower to jump on board with that, but there's been people who have just been, I think, waiting for uh, that big of a story to come along that they could jump mm. in with. Yeah. Uh, w- when there's no heart-grabbing, compelling vision for world missions, um, you know, people become disinterested. I, I think yeah. you hit on something really great there, Andrew. W- when you have a, a God vision, a, a mm. gospel vision, that is worthy of sacrifice. It's worthy of prayer. People give to it. And, you know, most world missions visions are vague. They're impersonal. There's no clear understanding of this epic story of redemption. I mean, you know, we just, let's go to the book of Revelation. We see the great end to which all of history is moving. It is the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world, and he is receiving the reward of his suffering, worship from all nations, tribes, and tongues. Invite people into that. You know, this is the greatest movement in history. And so I just affirm that, and I've seen the power it's had at Calvary Marietta. Um, One final question. We're going to hear from all of you on this one. 
church to church, you're all churchmen, um, church women, church women, um, broad, right? Um, what word of encouragement would you give to those who have held to this philosophy? Again, that's pervasive. It may even be well-intentioned, but they're realizing that it's not, a, it's not really producing the results that it should be. What, what do you say, Michelle, to the church that has an everyone is a missionary philosophy and everything they do is missions, but they're seeing a need to change. What do you say to them? Oh, I would say you've got a long road ahead. The transition is hard. It can be painful. It's been a long process. We're still not all the way there. And there have been times where I have just been ready to throw in the towel and say, God, I am done. Um, but it seems like every single time that I've been ready to do that, um, right as that towel is in that up, it's in my upraised hand and I'm ready to throw it down. Um, God does something. And instead I take the towel and I wipe off my brow and I wipe off my tears and I say, okay, he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of the glory that he's not getting. And I'm not going to quit. We're going to try it again. We're going to go back and we're going to scale this wall. We're going to, we're going to knock this barrier down. We're going to do something. God's got to act, but we're going to do something because he is worthy. Wow. That's really helpful because that's definitely a big picture vision and lifting our eyes up off from even our circumstances of the process and really placing them where they need to be. Michelle, press on. Press on, sister. Um, (laughs) Thank God for those people in the trenches like you. And I I just got to believe that what you just said, uh, for those who listen to this podcast, it's going to be a source of encouragement for them because they feel like they're they're fighting a battle that can't be won. And, you know, the worthiness of God has got to be the motivation. So thank you for sharing that. Larry, how about you? Uh, What would you have to offer a word of encouragement to churches that are kind of in that boat of everybody's a missionary, everything the church does is missions. So why are we even moving forward to something else? The very first thing I would encourage them to do is celebrate that they have servants that are actively doing something for the gospel. Good. So the mm. thing is, I think that we really want to recognize those folks that are actually serving first, and then as we encourage them to move and change, you build from a foundation of, of unity instead of a position of separation. That'd be the first thing that I would really want to encourage them. And as we saw that happen here, we're seeing amazing and miraculous things happen due to that. But that'd be the first thing I would do is, is celebrate where they're at first before uh, before making that, that drastic change or, or pointing in that new direction. I think that is a really great word, Larry, because for a lot of people, change is perceived as loss. Hmm. And, yes. and suddenly they're saying, oh my gosh, my understanding of missions, it was wrong. And they take it personally, and the people who've been doing that work feel slighted. I think that's important. Realize that God has brought you to this place. I mean, we need disruption in this space. There's no doubt about it. Um, calling everyone a missionary and calling everything missions has, we've talked about, unintended consequences. But I think this graciousness that you mentioned and patience is really critical. So I'm glad you spoke to that, Larry. Trent, uh, you know, you're a teaching pastor. You're in the pulpit almost every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you yeah. to speak to other senior pastors, teaching pastors, uh, you know, and I know this. A lot of them have. I've talked to them for the last 25 years. I've been doing this, 10 years at a local church, 15 in mobilization. And I meet lots of pastors who have a very loose understanding of missions. Um, Trent, speak to them. 
Yeah, well, the first thing I would say, pastor to pastor, is to soak in the Scriptures, come to the Scriptures with the question mm-hmm. that is raised by this podcast and the question of mission, and then let the Scriptures answer it for you. Mm-hmm. So let the Word lead you. And I, I'm thinking of um, Luke 24, where Jesus says, these are my words I spoke while I was with you, that everything written about me in the Law and Moses and the Prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds, and he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. We all get that, but then here, and then re- that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, mm. so that Every nation, every people is a, is is um, in that that gospel mission aim is embedded within the whole of the story of the Bible. So let the word lead you there, not a podcast, but let the podcast raise the questions. Let the word get you there, and then let the word lead your people there. Uh, our church is a Bible church, and our people love the word. And if I can show it to them in the Bible, they'll go. Um, there's been some courageous things our church has done when the scriptures have been plain, and and we're seeing that happen on this front too, and it and it has. So let the word lead you, and then you use the word to lead your people. That'd be my that'd be my word to any pastor listening. Yeah, we're we're so encouraged to to hear you say that. I think often we uh, try to find our vision for our church or the strategy for our church from some other church. Or some other place, we mm-hmm. don't go to the Bible. <laughs> we want a quick solution sometimes, or we want, oh, they do it really well, so we'll do it like they do it, uh, not realizing that you've got your own unique DNA that God really wants to work through you as a church. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for sharing that, because it's it's critical. We, we say we don't think about missions very well, Matthew, and I talk about this back and forth. Churches don't do missions very well because they don't think about missions very well, and hardly any of them really open up the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Hmm, novel idea. Let's actually look and see what Jesus said, what his disciples say. Yeah, I I think if anyone listening to this, there's a takeaway. It's that what is God's position on missions? Yes. Um, How does he define missions, and then allow your church's understanding to flow out of that. It's really critical. And for some of those listening, um, you're going to be challenged to hear this because you have been told everyone's a missionary and everything is missions. And just this you know, final question, is that biblical? That's really the issue here. So, hey, we are so thankful for the investment of your time. Um, all three yes. of the churches, Heritage Bible, Calvary Murrieta, Northview Christian, and uh, we're cheering you on. Um, thank, thanks be to God for your churches yes. and just leading the way really in, in a time where um, missions has been quite marginalized because of the everything is missions philosophy. So he, he, may your tribe increase and may you not only see those visions fulfilled that you've been talking about, but may you influence other churches to take their role in this epic story of redemption. So yes. to all of you, thank you so very much. Denny? Thanks for being here, brother. Yes, great to be with you again, but it was great to have you all as guests today and to really hear from churches that are wrestling with this. Yeah, amen. Signing off. You have been listening to the When Everything is Missions podcast with Matthew Ellison and Denny Spitters, authors of the book When Everything is Missions. Our topic today has been Reformation, churches that changed their mind about missions. And join us next time when our topic will be When Demons Talk About World Missions, 
Is it possible that calling everyone a missionary is a satanically influenced idea?